Southern Skies. Online Media. Good day, folks, and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 39 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. This is a special election 2010 quickcast number one. I'm Steve Vischer, and with me as always is Grant McCarran. Hi, mate. Hey, how you going, mate? Excellent. Now, uh, this is a special uh, episode. Uh, it is the federal election uh, coming up this weekend on the 21st, and uh, we've been chasing uh, all of Australia's more prominent uh, transport-related politicians to uh, get some comments and just get their party's positions, Grant, on uh, where they stand on uh, aviation in this country. That's right, mate. First cab off the rank is Warren Truss, leader of the Nationals and Shadow Minister for Trade, Transport and Local Government. Also a bit of an airplane spotter. So uh, we had a great chat with him about uh, his views on aviation and what his party's going to do for aviation in Australia if they're elected. And uh, it was great to be able to get about 20 minutes of his time today. Yeah, we are chasing uh, Anthony Albanese as well and also Senator uh, Christine Milne from the Greens to uh, get their positions on uh, on these issues as well and, and maybe some of the other parties as well if time permits. That's right, Steve. So let's get kicked off with this first in the uh, series of quick casts about the Australian federal election. Warren Truss is the leader of the Australian National Party. He's the Shadow Minister for Trade, Transport and Local Government and he's very generously given us a few minutes of his time this afternoon. Mr Truss, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good to talk to you. Warren, first question off the bat is, uh, are you or any of your friends and family pilots? Well, I'm, I'm not a pilot. I'm a bit of an aviation buff, but I have to confess that I'm not a pilot. Um, I do have four nephews, uh, two two of whom have uh, pilot's licences and one works for uh, as, an, as an aeronautical engineer with one of the major airlines. So there's a bit of airline in the blood. Excellent. Now, you were previously the uh, transport minister, so you would have been quite involved with airline and aviation aspects back then, yes? Uh, most certainly. Um, I think aviation is a critical part of, of Australia's infrastructure. Uh, it's a big country, and so flying makes a lot of sense. And uh, we need to make use of the, of the advantages that we have in civil aviation to make it an even more important industry. How do you view that when you say it's a big country? Um, how would you view that? There's a big push on at the moment for rail infrastructure and fast rail. Do you see those as complementary or as, as exclusive from each other? Well, it would have to be complementary uh, for it to succeed. Uh, one of the reasons why high-speed rail is becoming less attractive in many areas is because airfares have become so much cheaper. Uh, when you can fly from Sydney to Melbourne for, for less than $100 uh, and do it in an hour or two, uh, you're not likely to want to, stand, to sit on a train where the fare is likely to be higher and the journey longer. And so that has affected the economics of those, those proposals for high-speed rail. Now, I 
I think rail is important and passenger rail is important and particularly urban uh, public transport, uh, rail can play a key role. Uh, the, the, the previous coalition government undertook a study on building fast rail between Melbourne, Sydney, Sydney, Brisbane in about 2002 and even that far back the cost was estimated at $60 billion. <laughs> now clearly uh, the cost will be higher than that now and uh, the competition from aviation is stronger. So that's all going to affect the economics uh, of, of rail. We've undertaken during this campaign to uh, have another look and update that study and in particular look at whether there's potential for high-speed rail between Sydney and Newcastle. So I think in some of those shorter journeys, uh, rail will play an increasingly important role, particularly at the expense of private cars and road transport, but on long on long hauls, particularly where the, where the traffic numbers are light, uh, aviation will have a big advantage. So if elected, what's your party going to do in terms of, uh, like, we're finding that aviation in Australia, it's quite expensive to be a general aviation pilot. We've got a, a perfect opportunity for lots of uh, training to go on, but it, it's quite expensive to operate some of the older aircraft, but to replace them with newer ones, we've got a lot of issues with depreciation and things like that. Is that something on the cards for your party? Well, when we were in government, we commissioned a, a general aviation action agenda. That got all the industry together to talk about its problems and what needed to be done to try and resolve those issues. Uh, the, the, the action agenda was, was completed shortly after we left office, and unfortunately, it's really died on its feet. Uh, when, the, when the current government put out its uh, white paper, uh, general aviation was largely ignored. Now, I'd like to reactivate the action agenda. I'd like to get the consultative process with general aviation back on track uh, so, that there's an, so that there is an interchange and opportunity to meet between uh, the general aviation sector and, uh, and, and the minister and others are, are, that are critical, other people in the government who are critical to the aviation industry. So I think we need to get the general aviation action agenda back on track. That will address uh, uh, issues such as the economics of aviation, uh, can also deal with issues like pilot training and the like. I think Australia should become a centre for global excellence for flight training. There are a few better places in the world to learn to fly than Australia and uh, I'm keen for us to use Austrade and the new service industry trade ambassador we propose to appoint to, to uh, encourage people to train to fly in Australia. There's been substantial investment in new pilot training academies and colleges in Australia, and I think we can make better use of those. But also our, our attractiveness as a, as a place for international pilots to train uh, or to be exploited. So we actually notice, uh, looking around a lot of the training schools at the moment, that there are a lot of international students. In fact, there's probably more international students than there are homegrown students, if you like. What, what do you think we can do to get younger, younger people to, to consider aviation as a career? Well, I would certainly like to see the student assistance programs that we have uh, for uh, study in a range of areas extended uh, more extensively into flight training. Uh, I think that uh, some of the loan schemes that, that are available uh, are currently available to people who undertake de degree courses, but we'd be looking at how we could extend those to other people wanting to undertake pilot training. Clearly, airlines like Rex have set an example by building their own academy uh, and, and in, in that way, uh, giving people an opportunity to become pilots in return for a commitment to stay with Rex for a period of years. I think that's an excellent example and that people who have a critical interest in ensuring we have an adequate supply of pilots in Australia could, learn, could well learn uh, from that example. Yeah, definitely. It does seem to be the way that uh, airline training's going. There's not as many coming out of the military anymore, so uh, that source of, of trained pilots is drying up for the airlines. So, yeah. Well, 
We did have a critical shortage of pilots when the aviation industry was booming and when uh, particularly the global sector was taking a large number of Australian pilots. Uh, that meant that there was pressure on uh, our, large, uh, our large carriers and that then uh, placed the pressure further down the chain and particularly affected regional aviation. It was a tragedy when some services had to be axed uh, because there were no pilots. So we do need to, to uh, ensure that there is an adequate supply and, and that's something where the government can help assist the industry, but ultimately people will make their own decisions about their careers and, uh, and, and industry will also make decisions about the number of pilots it wants to train. Yeah, we're also seeing that with uh, maintenance. Uh, I believe the average age of most of the um, aircraft maintenance engineers uh, is somewhere in the 50s. Well, I think it is important for us to, to see the industry as a sector. We need more than pilots. We obviously need uh, those who are able to undertake the engineering activities. You know, we, we need traffic controllers. Uh, we need everybody associated with the industry to make sure that it runs smoothly. We're talking about training in general aviation. Um, we're seeing the emergence very strongly now of uh, recreational aviation, uh, which has slightly lower standards, I guess, than, than GA. How do you foreshadow uh, that going, the progression of that industry going? Do you think it would, um, do you envisage it, for instance, taking over from GA somewhere in the future? Well, one of the reasons why recreational flying has become popular is that it is less uh, regulated than other sectors of the industry. Uh, that's meant that uh, newer aircraft have been purchased, and and as a result, uh, there's a lot of attraction in flying the, the more mo the, the more modern equipment. Now, I think it is a matter for judgment as to uh, what level of uh, regulation is required in the sector. Clearly, if people are going to carry passengers, or alternatively, if they're if they're flying in area where they could be a risk to, to other pilots, then there does need to be a strong, a, a strong assurance that our skies will be safe, and that does involve a level of regulation. Now, it's been an issue that I know CASA and, and other authorities have been dealing with for some time to, to look at how we might be able to uh, uh, spread some of the advantages of recreational flying into the, the broader general sector without compromising uh, uh, the, the safety of our skies. And I think that's something that can also be dealt with in the context of a general aviation action agenda. Aviation safety at the moment is a topical subject, especially with the recent ATSB releases about the uh, Jetstar A320 go around at Avalon and the Launceston uncontrolled airspace scenario between a Virgin Blue and uh, Jetstar aircraft. Do you see that, that uh, aviation safety and regulatory reform extending beyond GARA and up into the major airspaces? Well, most certainly, and one of the areas where we will where we will be undertaking some further work is is to undertake a review of the use of radar in Australia, particularly in in uh, air traffic control, uh, where we we want to uh, take advantage of international expertise to make sure we make the best use of the radar we have in this country, and that we and that any further investments are in the right type of equipment used in the right way. So I think uh, we, we we do need to. Uh, advance uh, our knowledge and, and appreciation of the issues following the experience at Launceston uh, to make sure that we don't have any serious incidents in the future. Now, obviously, the whole issue of security and safety in, in the air is of critical importance. Uh, I think it's uh, that we need to make sure that we get the best value for money for the security dollars we spent. Uh, we spend. Uh, obviously, there's been investments that have 
billion dollars or more in safety over recent times, and we're fortunate in this country uh, never to have had a serious security interest in, 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 in issue in the air. We must keep it that way. Uh, therefore, we have to have appropriate safety, even though that may sometimes be inconvenient. Our security needs to be strong, even though that is sometimes inconvenient. But what we can't afford to do, of course, is to, for it to be excessively oppressive and, 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 and be blind to the realities of real life. As in doing a, a risk assessment of likelihoods and uh, results and so on, because I notice uh, we go through a lot of scanning and so on in the airports, but it, it, is that same level applied to freight and uh, to a lot of the people working on ramps? As a, as a light GA pilot, I have to have a lot of security background checking, uh, and yet it appears that some of that checking isn't the same level for people working as cleaners or, or um, caterers. Well, they are all subject to a level of security, whether it's, but I am aware of allegations that in some cases that is not as enforced as strongly as it should. That's clearly unacceptable. Uh, we do need to be certain that our whole, our whole aviation environment is, is, is secure. Yep. On the other hand, I have some concerns about the government's recent announcement to extend jet style security to small regional airports that operate Q400 aircraft. Uh, there are, there are one or two, maybe half Half a dozen airports in Australia that, that are likely to take Q400s or, or now take Q400s, but only have one or two services a week. Now it's, it seems to me to be excessive to expect a million dollars, two million dollars to be spent on building a security-controlled airports uh, for, for such a small volume of traffic. So I think we need to be a bit more imaginative in some of those areas. Yeah, especially when, uh, for instance, we've we've seen in the United States a few examples of use of rental vehicles, rental trucks, cars, things like that. In the United States and the UK to cause more damage than has been caused by light aircraft, for example, yet I can still go down and rent a truck and take it away and who knows what I'm doing with it. Well, uh, we need to assess the, the terrorism threats, um, the risks to our security on a regular basis. Governments uh, need to take the advice of the experts. Uh, clearly, uh, as, as, as new security measures are put in place, uh, those who, who have ill intent towards our country can devise ways to get around it. There's no such thing as absolutely perfect security, particularly if somebody's prepared to give their own life in return for the damage that they do. So we, we, we need to have responsible security we need to make sure that uh, our environment is just as safe as we possibly can uh, and do that in a balanced and appropriate way. Okay, moving on to the economics uh, of aviation, what would be the position of, uh, of your party with regard to uh, depreciation of aircraft and perhaps finding a way to make them more tax effective for operators, uh, perhaps making them more uh, achievable for the average person to be able to afford to fly? Well, the, the major airlines... Uh, and indeed private operators have always sought better tax treatment of, for the purchase of aircraft. Uh, it is a revenue issue and in, at a time when the country has a huge debt and, and massive uh, budget deficits, there's a limit to what we can do at the present time. But it's certainly an issue that uh, was raised in the context of the GA Action Agenda work and it's, and it's one that I hope we'll be able to consider when the economic circumstances of our country are better. Would, would that uh, include similar situations such as accelerated depreciation and so on, similar to the actions that were taken to get a lot of the old trucks off the road for transport. 
Well, accelerated depreciation has been used as a, an incentive from time to time, although it's not been a regular part of the of the taxation uh, regime over recent times. But it's it, it's not affordable for us at the present time with the debt where it is, and where the uh, and the deficit where it is. Uh, but uh, when the economic circumstances improve, I'm certainly prepared to look at what we may be able to do to stimulate the economy in that area. One of the uh, the big bugbears, if you like, of your average GA pilot is user fees, landing fees and things like that. Well, whilst we understand that there is a lot of debt to deal with at the moment, how do you envisage the, the user fees and the air navigation charges going? Do you think there would be any change to that regime or at least any scope to have a look at it? Well, most of, most of the airport charges are, of course, imposed by the airport owner. In most cases, that's a local authority, although in the larger airports, it's, it's generally a corporation of some kind. Uh, the large airports uh, are now uh, subject to scrutiny uh, to make sure that their pricing is appropriate that uh, scrutiny needs to be rigorous. Um, we, we must make sure that airlines, uh, sorry, that airport owners do not take advantage of any monopoly position that they have, and that they treat all the users of their facilities fairly. That does lead on to uh, some of the issues we're seeing with airports in Australia. There, there's many of the uh, general aviation airports are at risk of encroachment from residential areas. There's, there's been airports in existence for decades, and people move into the area and then start complaining about the noise. Yeah. What stance do you folks have on on the protection of uh, of thriving airports that are being encroached on by by residences and so on? Well, I certainly share your concerns in that regard. Uh, unfortunately, for the Commonwealth, the planning is a responsibility of the state and local governments, and decisions that are made that you know, that allow housing developments or, for that matter, some other developments uh, on approaches to airports are inevitably the beginning of of, an, of a, a community conflict. People should know that the airport Airport is there, uh, that the runways are there, and that planes are landing on them, and therefore they're going to create noise. But when it happens, they still seem to complain. <laughs> now, I think that uh, that uh, people who choose to live at the end of a runway uh, are making a decision, and it's uh, and it's not as though the airport's a secret; they're, it's always well known, and so they must accept some liability for the fact that uh, there's going to be some noise in those locations. But on the other hand, I've been disappointed that state governments uh, have allowed uh, urban development in in areas which which potentially are going to compromise even some of our biggest airports. Uh, proposals for residential development on the approaches to Canberra have been causing a concern. Uh, Badgeries Creek has been made, as, uh, was purchased as a site for the second airport in Sydney and yet successive state governments in New South Wales have failed to protect its environment so that, uh, so that now most people believe it will be impossible to build the airport. Now yeah. every time uh, that uh, a new development is allowed in the approaches to an airport, particularly a residential type development, it compromises that space for the, for the purpose for which it was acquired. And I think there, there, there needs to be greater protection for the, uh, for the environs of an airport uh, in state planning arrangements and indeed in the decisions that local government make uh, about plans. Indeed. The, uh, there's talk in the US that they're uh, trying to introduce uh, contract changes for purchase of land and or uh, rental of, of tenancies near airports that it states in there that you are aware that there is an airport nearby, you are underneath the flight path, et cetera, et cetera. 
uh, that kind of op- action could be uh, a wonderful thing here in Australia. Well, that would be something that state or local government would implement. The Commonwealth doesn't have any powers in that regard, but uh, I am frustrated about uh, the, the, the problems that exist when the, the areas surrounding airports are, are, are developed in ways which are not sympathetic to the to the airport. Uh, sometimes there's some kind of an expectation that maybe the airport will go away. But airports are a critical piece of piece of national infrastructure. Uh, we need them. Uh, they're essential to our trade and to our and, and to our transport and to our lifestyle. And uh, therefore, their their value to the community should not be underestimated or compromised. Just one more quick question. Uh, I just uh, just mentioning Badgeries Creek there, Mr. Truss. Um, what would be the position of the coalition on a second Sydney airport? Is that still something? that would be looked at in the in the longer term or perhaps even the medium term? Well, we believe that uh, Sydney's uh, Kingswood Smith Airport will serve Sydney's needs adequately for the foreseeable future. And by that, I mean several decades. And that can be done uh, without lifting the curfew or without increasing the number of aircraft movements. I think we can use, uh, that KSA can meet Sydney's needs. We can take some pressure off Sydney by having more international flights going to places like Melbourne and Brisbane or Newcastle and Canberra. Uh, there are other things we can also do to relieve the traffic uh, into Sydney, uh, but even those measures are not going to be necessary for, for a decade or two. There was even some talk recently about uh, moving some flights to Richmond to the Air Force Base there. Well, I, uh, the previous government, when it went in office, undertook a detailed study about all, uh, of all of the alternative sites in the Sydney Basin for, for a second airport, and all of them were ruled out. All of them were ruled out. They have all got serious problems. In most instances, they're simply not practical. And even Richmond, uh, with the, the, the with the towns on either end, the nearness to the Blue Mountains, uh, means that it's not a it, it's not a good site for a major airport. Now the government, uh, the current government, has been talking about a second site uh, hundreds of miles from a hundred or more miles from Sydney. I don't think that will work either, because people who travel to Sydney don't want to have a two or three hour drive into the city or a long train journey. If you come from Melbourne to Sydney, you want to go to Sydney. You don't want to go uh, two hours drive out of town. And therefore, I don't believe that a second airport constructed a long way out of town would be commercially viable and therefore uh, an attractive uh, proposition for any investor. Excellent. Well, Mr. Truss, we know it's a very busy time for you as the, this is the last week of the election campaign. But before you go, we, we must ask you this. Your advisors tell us that you're a bit of a plane spotter in your spare time. Is this true? Would we be likely to find you uh, at the local airport watching planes at any time? Oh, well, I think I've been a bit too busy to be sitting around <laughs> watching planes, but I spend a lot of time at air, airports uh, uh, waiting for them, waiting for my next flight, and so I'm certainly a keen advisor, of, uh, a keen observer of, of which aircraft are moving to and fro, and my office has got quite a large collection now of, of aircraft that I've managed to accumulate um, as, as models, uh, aircraft that uh, are, in, are in extensive use in Australia, but I guess the, the aircraft that I'm particularly proud of are, are models of some of the aircraft that are actually made in Australia, like the, the Gippsland GA-8 and the Seabird Seeker and the like. I think we've got every reason to be proud of our Australian manufactured aircraft, and I hope our manufacturing industry can also grow. Excellent. We, we totally agree with that. We're, uh, we're looking to do some episodes soon on uh, Jabiru and Gippsland and, and mm. so on and, and focus on a lot of the uh, locally manufactured aircraft like the Boomerang and so on. Mm, that's great. And quite a few of those manufacturers are either in my electorate or very nearby. Well, as I said, we know you're very busy and we certainly appreciate you uh, having taken the time to speak to our audience this afternoon. Warren Trust, thanks very much. You're very welcome.
Well, there you go, Grant. That was really interesting, and we really do thank Mr Trust for his time. As I said, uh, we're trying to uh, chase some of the other uh, politicians from the other parties to get their positions on aviation policy within this country. Uh, just as a footnote there, Grant, um, we uh, we should say that we had to uh, submit a set list of questions uh, to, to all of the uh, the media people from the parties so that they could uh, consider them. We wouldn't normally do that, but uh, that's that's part of the deal. So as I say, Grant, we're not telling people how to vote. We're just trying to get uh, the, the different parties' uh, opinions and uh, hopefully some policies. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. We're trying to get these out as quick as we can. We'll do as much promoting of the fact that they're out and uh, hopefully Australian uh, voters will be able to have a listen and uh, and this might help make up their mind. For the rest of you out there, it gives you a good indication of what's going on with aviation in Australian politics. Excellent, folks. And remember, when you're at the ballot box this weekend and trying to decide who to vote for, just remember this. It's what's down under the counts. You've been listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website, www.plainecrazydownunder.com or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plainecrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks.